Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Hope you're doing uh, well this morning. And um, if, uh, like Pastor Glenn said earlier, if you are here for the very first time, uh, we just want to offer you a very special welcome. I actually like telling people who are who are come here for the first time what we're all about. We are a church on a mission, and that mission is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. Like we're absolutely convinced to the core of our being that the most important relationship anyone can have is a relationship with Jesus. And we also think life is so much better when you do it together. So that's what we're all about, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. And so we're so grateful that uh, if you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time that you would share part of your weekend with us. I also want to give a shout out to those who are joining us online this morning. We realize some people watch from home. They've actually never been here, but you're watching from home. Some are sick today. Some are catching it on their break at work. Some might be at the barn. Some might be in their cottage, but we're glad to have you join us. And... Um, for those who watch from out of town, if you ever find yourself in Sarnia, we'd love to have you join us, and we'll do our very best to make you feel right at home. Before we get started, I wanted to just say a couple things about our day camp. If you've been around Temple for a very, any length of time, you know day camp is a big deal. I mean, it is a big, big deal for us. And we're very excited. Uh, I, I think nearly 600 campers are already registered, and... Um, we believe also that day camp is doing a great job connecting the next generation with Jesus. And that's why we invest in it so heavily with our day camp. And in fact, our staff, uh, they do everything they possibly can to make it the best week for a child uh, in the summertime. And, and the week is just jam-packed with activities. And I'm very excited. You saw in the bulletin our, our new directors uh, for the, our summer day camp program. But one of the things I wanted to mention is that next week, next week, um, we are going to actually designate our benevolent offering towards day camp. Because we don't want any child to be left behind. And, you know, we try our very best to just charge enough just to barely cover the cost. But even with that, uh, for some, it's, it's really challenging and difficult uh, to maybe have enough funds and extra funds to send one or two or maybe three of your children. And, uh, and with some of the new government policies, uh, we weren't eligible for summer student grants, which uh, is actually amounts to thousands of dollars, but we're still doing camp, day camp because we believe in this ministry. Um, so many kids come to know Jesus as their Savior through day camp. And so I just want to uh, draw that to your attention and uh, want to... I invite you to partner, to invest in the next generation by supporting uh, the day camp ministry in our benevolent fund next year. I, I'm reminded of that song uh, that was written, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. You know, thank you, Lord, for, or thank you for giving to the Lord. I was a life that was changed. And so many uh, kids' lives get changed during that week of uh, day camp. So I just want to bring that to your attention next week during a benevolent offering. Well, today we start a brand new series. I've been very excited about it. And we're going to be answering the question, what do you do when God is not doing what you expect him to do? What do you do when God does not do what you expect him to do? And this series will take us to the book of Habakkuk. The book of what? Yes, the book of Habakkuk. 
You know, uh, it's such a tiny little book in the Bible. If you didn't know it was there, you would just fly right over it. In my Bible, it's only two and a half pages. It's like three chapters. It's a tiny little book. It's often referred to as one of the minor prophets. Not minor because of its content, but minor because of the size of the book. You, you maybe have heard of that before, major prophets and minor prophets. Well, Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets, just a small book. There's 12, actually, minor prophets, but not minor in content, as I said, just smaller in size. I've often thought, when I read through the book of Habakkuk, I thought, I wonder if he had any bullying with that kind of a name, Habakkuk. I, I know, like, I think I have a pretty decent name, and I got bullied, not bullied, but I got teased about my name. Calder. Hey, hey, did you, where's your collar today, Donald? Bug me every time they did that. Or, hey, did you call her last night? Like, my name is Calder, not call her. And uh, so, but I think of Habakkuk. I mean, it's almost like um, a cat who's choking up a, a hairball. <laughs> right? That's the kind of name it is. And in the book of Habakkuk, we have this prophet of God who literally asked questions after questions after questions concerning God. You would think that a prophet of God would have answers to questions. But here's a prophet of God who actually has a ton of questions to ask God. And and we all have questions, don't we? Uh, We're inquisitive people. We're always asking questions. Hey, how you doing today? Uh, How's how's your wife and the newborn baby? Um, Hey, why did you choose to marry him? That's an interesting choice. Or, you know, why did you choose uh, that career? Or, why did you spread that lie about me? Uh, This past Sunday, I was doing a wedding, and I've been asking myself this question, Donald, why were you so careless at this wedding? I mean, I've done hundreds of weddings, right? I've been doing weddings for 30 years. And um, this past Sunday, I was preaching at a, uh, when I was, I was doing a family wedding, so they were in Florida, and I was preaching at a church, and I did not give myself enough time from leaving the church to get to the wedding. So I tore off in a hurry, and I, I confess I, I was breaking some speed limits, and I, and I ran home as fast as I could to change my clothes, to get into a suit for the wedding. I got in a suit. And the wedding, um, by the time I arrived to the church, it was two minutes before the wedding started. And I was getting these texts, where are you, where are you, where are you? I didn't answer any of them because I didn't want anybody to panic. So uh, finally, I got there two minutes, I ran into the door, you know, I'm trying to pull myself together, and the groomsmen are all lined up, I'm supposed to bring them right down the aisle, and as I get ready to look, go down the aisle, I look down, and I had two completely different pairs of shoes on. I'm like, how could that happen? How is that possible? I've never done that. And I thought, I, I can't, I'm not going down that aisle. They said, well, you have to. I said, I'm not going. And, and so when I was doing the wedding, I, I, you know, you're up on the platform so everybody can see you. And I made it more obvious because I, I tried to hide one shoe behind the other. It was like I was a flamingo, right? And I'm like, Donald, why... Why are you so careless? You should have known better. And then to make it worse, the father of the bride, just, so I could hear this, as he gave his daughter to the groom, he says, make sure you always wear the same pair of shoes when you go to an event. <laughs> I think it was aimed towards me, right? 
So we have all kinds of questions. And some questions, of course, require a little more thought. You know, a little, little more complex. Like questions like, why do, why do we drive cars on the parkway and park cars in the driveway? You've heard that before. You know, why do we say the alarm went off when really it just came on? Right? And why is the word abbreviation so long? And why? Why is it we say, I slept like a baby, when we know babies don't sleep through the night? Right? You ask any fan with a newborn baby, no baby sleeps through the night. They're up every couple of hours, and yet we still say, that. oh, I slept like a baby. And then there are, those, of course, those heart-wrenching questions. Uh, questions that they don't really have good answers. They usually start this way. Why, God, why? 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 Why didn't my marriage end like that? Why can't, why can't we get pregnant? Everyone else around me is pregnant. Why is it that we're suffering with infertility? I look at the girl down the street, the teenage girl, who seems to be sleeping around and, and has gotten pregnant twice and had two abortions, and yet we can't even have a child to love. Why? Why did I lose my job? Why did my... Why was it my child that died so young? Why can't my spouse get control or, or deliverance from their drug addiction? Why did my husband cheat on me? They're big questions. You know, why was I falsely accused at work when I, and my reputation now has been ruined, and yet I'm an innocent person? They're difficult questions. And Habakkuk floods God with similar questions. He bombards God with these kinds of questions. Let me ask you something. If you had the opportunity to ask God one question and you knew he would answer, what would that question be? Well, the Barna group, which does a lot of surveys, actually surveyed thousands of people. What would you ask God? And the overwhelming number one question was, answer was, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Why? You know, people point to evil and suffering as their most common reason for not believing in God. And I think if we were honest, we would all say, you know, I've asked actually the same questions before. The same. And if you're a follower of Jesus... You probably do have and have had some big questions along the way. Some of these questions actually test your faith to the point you begin to wonder, is God really a loving God? Some questions leave us wondering if the things that I believe about God are really even true. Because, you know, we read the Bible and it seems to be teaching us that God is a God of, of love and he's kind and he's compassionate and he's slow to anger and he's forgiving and he's gracious and he's full of love. But then the reality does not meet our, or match our expectation. And we're like, I, I don't get this. There's this gap, and we've talked about that gap before. You know, well, Habakkuk had to wrestle with the same questions that you and I wrestle with today. See, Habakkuk had this expectation of what God should be doing, and it wasn't meeting his expectation. His experience was not meeting his expectation of what he thought God should be doing. 
So with that, let's just kind of dive into this book, the book of Habakkuk, and I will give you a little bit of advice. It's a difficult book to find, so once you find it, put a bookmarker in there, because we're going to be looking at it for the next couple of weeks, okay? So it's the book of Habakkuk, and it's found in the Old Testament. Kind of open your Bible in the middle and turn right, and just kind of flip through some of those major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, and then you come to those those minor prophets. I have to say, I've been kind of looking forward to this series for a, l- a little while now. And I find it interesting that a man like Habakkuk, who lived thousands of years ago, that I could actually relate to him. Because, I mean, the world changes so much in the last 50 years. But one thing is true, human nature really changes. And so here's a man who's lived a couple thousand years ago. And it's like, my goodness, you almost feel like your neighbors, that you can have absolutely the same conversations. And Habakkuk has some of those in-your-face kind of questions, the kind of questions that cause you to squirm a little bit, the kind of questions you think, ooh, can you ask God that kind of a question? Somewhere along the line, we, we have this notion that we can't bring our big question. We can't bring those tough questions to God. But I believe the Bible says, no, no, no. I believe the Bible's then we're going to discover together. No, God invites you to bring those questions. Those big, hard-hitting questions. You may say, are you sure, Donald? Because i got some big ones. In fact, I've had some big questions that have, that have disturbed me all my life. God says, bring it on. And Habakkuk had those kind of questions. So what is it that we know about this man, anyway? Well, truthfully, we know very little about him. We probably know the least about him than any other of the minor prophets. But a couple things that we do know. First of all, he is a contemporary of Jeremiah. So if you're familiar with Jeremiah, he lived during the same time as Jeremiah, although we have no idea if they knew each other. So he's a contemporary of Jeremiah. We also know that he was a musician in the temple. We also know he was a priest, and we also know he became a prophet. And when I say use the word prophet, Back in the Old Testament, a prophet was God would speak to the prophet and then he would proclaim it to the people. Thus saith the Lord. And that's what Habakkuk was, a a prophet. And he lived during the reign of Josiah who became king at eight years of age. Josiah's grandfather Manasseh actually had been ruling the country for 55 years and the Bible says he was the most wicked king that had ever ruled. So if there was something evil, he probably invented it. This is the kind of person that ruled over God's people, which caused you to ask the questions, God, why would you allow your people for 55 years to be ruled by such a man? I think it's a good question. Like, these are your chosen people, God. Why would you allow somebody like that to rule? And then he dies, and then his son, Omen, takes over. He's 22 years old when he becomes king, but the people, and it says he, he followed in his father's footsteps, very wicked too, and it says that the people rose up and they killed him in the palace after two years of reigning. And then it was decided that his eight-year-old son, Josiah, would become the next king. And for 31 years, the Bible says that Josiah, for 31 years, reigned in such a way that it honored God in everything that he did. 
Like for, for when he became when he became 18 years of old, and, and all of a sudden there was a there was a, a new release on life because they found something that had been lost in the temple. And so the book of the law had been rediscovered. The people of God had even forgotten about it. It was so many years before anybody had read from the from the book of the law that when it was discovered, it was like, what? That God actually had a standard for people. And, and it was rediscovered when Josiah was 18 years old. And when the, the book of the law was read, people were in awe. And so Josiah begins to make a, uh, there's a reformation that takes place. I mean, these big, beautiful statues that were made for idol worship were torn down. The temple prostitutes, they were stopped. Child sacrifices, it stopped. It all came to an end. Josiah wanted to encourage his people, convince his people to live completely for, for God with no distractions. In fact, they brought back the Passover. The Passover had not even been celebrated for 300 years. And so this is a, a young man on the move, ready to make a difference. And for 31 years, he is reigning with godliness, and then bing, bam, boom, he's killed by a wicked pharaoh named Necho in Megiddo. And this causes Habakkuk, God, what, oh, what are you doing? For, for 31 years, this man has been reigning, loving you, and, and worshiping you, and doing everything that you would want him to do, and then you let this wicked man, a wicked pharaoh, just kill him? God, actually, this makes no sense to me. And that's where Habakkuk finds himself. And, and so, when, when Josiah is um, killed, Jehoiakim becomes the next king. And if you know anything about kind of the church history, you know that it's under Jehoiakim that the Babylonians come. Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes the people of Israel captive. So this is kind of the, the period that Habakkuk is living in. And the, and the name Habakkuk means, listen to this, it means to embrace and it means to wrestle. And Habakkuk did both with God. He embraced God, but boy, he wrestled with God. Because he had some big questions to ask God. So let's look at verse 1. It says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. You may say, what is an oracle? You know, I, I know that as a kind of a computer database, oracles. Well, an oracle is a burden. It is a heavy burden. And Habakkuk has been given this heavy burden to deliver to the people of Israel. The kind of burden that is so tough, the kind of burden that be, like if you were given the responsibility to go knock on someone's door to let them know their son has been killed in a car accident. Like that kind of heavy burden to share. And this is what Habakkuk has been given. This is not like three, three points and a little poem kind of message. No, it's heavy that Habakkuk has been given by God to tell the people of Israel. The kind of burden that caused you to say, why God? Why is this even happening? Why would I even deliver this message? Why would you allow this? This is what he's about to deliver. So look what it says. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? 
How long is this going to go on between you and me, Lord? How long am I going to pray and pray and pray? And when are you going to start listening, Lord? I mean, I'm seeing nothing. I have prayed about this issue over and over and over again, and there's no response from you, God. And we, get, we, we understand there that Habakkuk has been asking for quite a while now, and it seems as though God's not listening. In fact, you may, Habakkuk might even begin to think, has God wronged me? When you study this. I mean, how many of us have prayed for something and it seems as though God's not listening. And we have prayed, and we have prayed, some of you for you know, five years or ten years, and it seems as though God is not listening. And so, your question is very much like Habakkuk. Lord, how long is this going to go on? How long am I going to pray and ask and you act as though it seems it doesn't matter to you. I don't know how long Habakkuk has been praying, but it has been for some time now. Habakkuk, we understand really how Habakkuk is feeling because he's just like us. I mean, how long am I going to have to pray, Lord, before you, before you answer me? And then look what Habakkuk says next. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for your help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict. It's everywhere. Lord, I see violence there, and I see it over here, and, and you're not doing anything about it. I don't get it. I don't understand. Have you forgotten your people? Because it seems everywhere I look, I do not see you acting. What do you do when God's not doing what you think he ought to be doing? That's the question we're trying to wrestle with. In fact, when you go through the book of Psalms, a third of the Psalms are all, why, Lord? Why have you abandoned me? Like, where's my help in time of need? Where are you? You look through the book of, of Job, same kind of question. The book of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, why? Why are you not doing anything? What is happening in my life does not add up to how I believe you should be acting. I have a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine in North Carolina. And two years ago, he lost his wife in cancer and his four children and you know, he just kind of described the journey and how difficult it was. And he said, but last fall, he said, last fall, God brought this lady into our church and I got to know her and, and her husband had died with cancer and so we had this common bond. And he says, I was so, God was so good. He said, he allowed us to, to fall in love and, and last fall I got married. And you know, we're all excited. He said, but in January, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And he, this is what, I'm going to quote what he said. He said, God, I know you love me. I know you have a plan. This is what he said. But you are doing a crappy job running this universe. Like his heart just broken. Like, God, I, I just buried one wife. And now I, I thought I had a new release on life. He said later, um, 
a little later, it's as though God, he said, he didn't audibly speak to me, but he says, I felt as though he really spoke deep. He says, you know, Jeff, you did such a great job looking after my last daughter. I've given one more to you to trust, that I've entrusted with. You're gonna walk this journey with her too. And sometimes we just see things happen around us and we just wonder, God, you're not doing what I think you should be doing. God, I know you could do this little thing. It's such a little thing to you. And it would be fixed. Why wouldn't you do that? It seems, God, that you don't care. That's the way it's coming across. In fact, God, if I'm completely honest, it seems as though you're being a little unfair. Is it even appropriate to ask that kind of question to God? Some of us are, are fearful to bring honest questions to God. Can I reassure you again? I believe it is okay to bring those tough questions to God. He loves, I believe he loves when you come and unloads. In fact, I think these kind of questions actually will help you in your faith journey with Christ. When what, with, when, with what you see with your eye does not match what is going on in your heart, when your experience does not match your expectation, I think actually it can, it can strengthen your journey, your faith journey. Let me give an, uh, an illustration. And this is, this is not original with me. Um, I saw this a number of years ago from uh, Craig Rochelle, so I'll make sure I give him the credit for this. Okay. And so, you know, in life, you find yourself maybe right here, right? Uh, not a believer. Uh, like probably maybe some of you here today, not a believer. But you're kind of, you know, you've been trying to investigate and, and study, and you, you want to find some things out of God, and you know, maybe you've been coming to church, or, you know, maybe you're reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, bam! Like, it all comes clear to you. Oh, my goodness, this is what Jesus did for me. And the next thing you know, you find yourself right here, up on the mountain. Like, everything is so good. And, 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 and radical changes are taking place in your life. And, um, and it seems like nothing can go wrong. You're praying, and God answers. You pray again, God answers. You go to your job, oh, my goodness, you get the promotion. You didn't even know there was a promotion available. You know, you, um, oh my goodness, you're getting a bigger tax refund than I ever dreamed I would get. My insurance premiums have gone down. Oh, God, you're so good. You turn the radio on, like, huh, my favorite song on the radio every single time. You drive over to Walmart, bang, there's a, there's a parking lot right at the door. Like, boy, God is so good. You're on this mountain. It's a great experience. But one day, you come to church, and all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't seem like you, you connected with the music. And you're like, oh, must have been a bad week for the band. <laughs> or you, know, you think, well, huh, sermon didn't really do anything for me today. You know, and then all of a sudden, you find yourself kind of going down. You know, the journey, it's, it's not like it was up here. 
You go to Walmart, the pouring down rainstorm, and the only parking lot is the last one out in the parking lot, right? Like, Lord, you turn your radio on and they're not playing your favorite song. And, and, and you lose your job and there's really no reason why you should. You're a hard worker. And, and maybe your marriage is struggling and you're like, God, I, I, but I've been praying. I've been praying, God. And I, I, I don't hear you. And it just seems like you're, 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 you're going down. And sometimes we get right down here, you get so low, you go, I don't know if God is who he says he is. We call it a crisis of belief. Because basically what I am seeing with my eyes is not matching up what I thought God would do. My expectation, my, I, my expectation is not meeting my experience. And so people do a couple different things. Some people say, well, I deny it all. Not true. You know, maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer. No. Not believing it. You lose your job. Oh, God will provide. No, all good, good, good. Deny it all. It's, it's not reality, but you kind of just deny it all. Then others go, you know what? God, I'm tired of playing in your sandbox. If that's the way you're going to be. And they go right back to here. Where they started off with, who's God anyway? It's a, it's a crisis of belief that people have. In fact, I think in James, doesn't it say, um, blesses a man, right, who, with the trials that come in your life, like, that those trials actually are, are to build into us? I mean, nobody likes that at first. I know, I don't like it either. But it says trials actually do something that nothing else will ever do in your life. Now, here's the hard one. This is what Habakkuk was doing. He was waiting for God to do something. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. That is a hard, hard place to be. Sometimes it would be just easy if God said yes or no. But when he says not now, not now. God, would you heal me? Not now. God, my, my child is, no, not now. That, that is a hard place to be. And so Habakkuk, here's what happens in chapter one. Chapter one is a chapter about wondering who God is. Wondering. Who is God? That's, what, that's where Habakkuk finds himself. He's a prophet of God, and he's wondering, God, like, who are you? Where are you? And, and he begins to wonder. And I think there's probably many of us in that same spot. We're still in chapter one. Here's what happens. So many people do not go to chapter two or chapter three. They, in chapter one, they say, that's enough for me. And they wonder, and they go right back over here. That's where they go. So, I guess the question could be, can you be a committed Christian and have doubts? I say you can. 
I think you can be a committed Christian and still wrestle because that's what Habakkuk was doing. He embraced God, but boy, he was wrestling through everything that was happening around him. I think of it as at Mark chapter 9. Remember where that man comes to Jesus and, and he has a son who's sick? Well, actually, there's a spirit, an evil spirit has entered and it's caused all kinds of havoc in his life. And the man comes to Jesus and, and asks for him to do something. And Jesus says to him, um, do you believe? And he says, I believe, uh, kind of, sort of, a little bit. Actually, he says, I do believe, but would you help me with my unbelief? And he's just being honest. Yeah, I, I do believe, but would you help me in my unbelief? I think a lot of us wrestle in this chapter. We just wonder, like a backache, God, I, honestly, God, I, I, I'm totally bewildered to what you're doing. It makes no sense. In fact, I'm tempted to believe you don't even care anymore. Chapter two. Chapter two, really, is not much better. Because in chapter 2, it's all about waiting. And as I said, that is a hard, hard place to be. You're just, you're waiting, you're trying to embrace God, you're wrestling, and you're just waiting for God to do something. It's hard. In chapter 3, chapter 3, it seems as though the table turns, and chapter 3 turns into a chapter of worship. See, there is something, there's something about this period right here. So you lived on the mountain and, and things don't seem to be going so well. You're having a crisis of belief. You've hit a wall with your faith and you're just wondering, I, I, I don't see you, God. I'm not even too sure I, I, I'm believing in you anymore. And so you're wrestling. You want to embrace God like Habakkuk, but you're just wrestling with all these questions. But I'm telling you that when you get to chapter three, when you, if you're willing to wait and let, let those trials like, work in you, to make you what you could never be, by the way, without the trial. I'm saying when you become, when you go to the other end of the spectrum, you'll begin to realize you will have an intimacy with God that you would never have experienced before. An intimate part of your relationship with God that could never, ever be experienced. But boy, this is a hard place to be. But I'm telling you, if you're willing to wait and see what God will do, you'll have an intimacy in your relationship that you have never, ever experienced before with God. This is Habakkuk's story. He's actually having a crisis of belief. He's like, Lord, I, 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 don't, I don't get you. I don't even understand you. And honestly, God, I'm wondering if what I believe is even true anymore. He's in that wondering stage. And I think a lot of us perhaps have been there. I, I think of one time when I had a crisis of belief, a true crisis of belief, of all places. I might have even shared this before. Of all places, I had it while I was in seminary. 
Capital Bible Seminary, Dr. Beale's class, the Dead Sea Scrolls, I still remember very clearly. Gone to Bible school, graduated, was all excited. I've been wanting to be a pastor since I was a little boy. And I went to Bible school, then I was off to seminary. And I, in my first class, I, I, all of a sudden, I had never, not once, I can honestly, had I ever doubted God's word. But I find myself in that class all of a sudden with all these questions. And honestly, it, it scared me because I thought, my whole life I, I, I've given to, to this. And, and if this is not true, I don't want to waste my life. And I don't want to waste anyone else's life if it's not true. And so I sat in class, and, and, and week after week, I'd be like, I, I, is this even true? Honestly, I, it's like I hit a wall, a crisis of belief, of all places in a seminary. And a seminary, by the way, that really believed God's word to be God's word. It wasn't some liberal seminary, but questions were arising that I couldn't quite answer. And I remember, I remember, like the story of Mark chapter 8 9, having to say, God help me in my unbelief because I'm struggling right now. My whole life, I'm willing to give for this cause, but right now, I'm struggling to believe this. I'm thankful, obviously, that it came out on the other end. But even while I was trying to embrace God, and even while I was still wrestling, I'm so thankful I came out on the other, other end. And so here's Habakkuk. Basically, the whole world's messed up, God. Why don't you do something? That's, you know, violence, Hamas, ISIS, ISIL, terrorists everywhere. God, do something. That's Habakkuk's question. God, you seem to be so passive. Like, you need to be active to what is happening here. If you're so holy, God, and so righteous, why are you letting these things happen? I want to show you something here in the back. Look what it says. In verse 5, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. So now God is saying to Habakkuk, you are not going to believe what I'm about to do. You are going to be utterly amazed. And we're going to look at that next week. What it means to be utterly amazed. What is he talking about? Utterly amazed with what? And so as we get ready to close this morning, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you are, you've hit the wall. You're at a crisis of belief. I don't know. Can I just challenge you? Keep embracing God as you wrestle through it. As you wrestle through. Some of you are in this very difficult waiting for God and waiting and waiting and waiting. God, are you ever going to show up? I do believe if we make it through that process of waiting, what will result will be something we never experienced ever before in our life. And that's God at work. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for our time in your word. We thank you, Lord, that when we read it, 
It's fresh and it's new for us every day. Your mercies are new. We thank you, God, that it's relevant to us. Like, we, we understand it. We, we look at a man like Habakkuk, a prophet of God, filled with questions. God, just like us. Just like us. Questions and questions and more questions. And so, God, I, I want to pray for those who may be in that stage of their journey with you, wondering where you are. God, like Habakkuk, I, I cry out to you that they would not go right back to the beginning, but they, that they would wait on you through the journey. And God, it's true, we look around us and we say, life seems so unfair. And God, it's true, life is unfair. It was unfair that a holy God had to come for sinful men, but you did it. And so, Lord, for anyone that's here this morning who, who doesn't know Jesus, Lord, may, may they be able to catch a fresh glimpse of who actually Jesus is. Then it, when it should have been us on the cross, when it should have been us who should pay for our sin, you went ahead and did it for us completely unfair that a righteous man would have to die for an unrighteous man but that's what you did on our behalf we're so thankful and so Lord as we journey together as a family help us know that we can bring our tough questions to you Lord I, I pray that we understand that we can be committed followers and still have some doubts along the way and that's why we're going to embrace you as we continue to wrestle through some of these things in our life. We pray, God, that you would do a work among us.